Welcome to the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katherine Schifferdecker. And I'm Katie Langston. And today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, our friend Cameron Howard. She is a professor of Old Testament um, at Luther Seminary and noted OG host of this podcast, uh, <laughs> author, scholar, uh, human being extraordinaire. So welcome, Cameron. We're so glad that you're with us. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> thanks for um, thanks for joining us. Yes. So we um, very much on purpose picked the hardest questions for Cameron to answer because she's very <laughs> smart. <laughs> so this is a question that came in from a listener. Um, and again, uh, dear listeners, you can ask your own question if you go to enterthebible.org and click on the ask a question button up in the top nav. And there is a form there which you can fill out and we try to answer as many questions as we can. And this listener question is uh, comes in from someone who says, I am studying the book of Judges. Good for you, listener. What were conditions like for a family in Israel at this time? So, Cameron, what were they like? Really hard. <laughs> That's in yeah. a nutshell. It's <laughs> hard. I mean... <laughs> Um, well, so if we're in the period of the judges, we're before the really significant um, urbanization. So, you know, Jerusalem's not like a big city. Of course, even when it was, most people in ancient Israel lived an agrarian lifestyle, but even more so in the period of the judges, which is before the monarchy and before um, the the cities in ancient Israel were more developed. Um, and they, you know, they were farmers and animal herders and depended really, really uh, a lot on the weather and the seasons and sort of year to year, how would things go? Um, so, I mean, not only when we're thinking about judges, but anything we read you know, whether it's about like observing religious festivals according to the seasons or psalms that talk about God's power over the wind and the storm, you know, that, that the, um, the life of the family was very much tied to the land and, and the weather. And so those things were very important to them. So subsistence farming, right, by which we mean um, everybody or most people anyway are kind of small-time farmers, not necessarily or primarily farming in order to support themselves, right, to, to eat. to So they grow their own grain, they have their own livestock, um, perhaps milk the goats, you know, uh, have a small orchard perhaps of figs or olive trees or something like that but they're primarily farming in order to uh to sustain themselves is that mm -hmm. right what you're getting at Kim? yes right i mean they, they it wasn't um i think your average they're family wouldn't be like trading and selling a lot or at least not right. in a big way like you would grow 
food for your family and, and would, neighbors. Would you say later, later in, you know, later on in history that there would be more like trading and more kind of economic specialization and that sort of thing, like as the cities grew? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this, this wouldn't be necessarily the case for the entire, you know, biblical period or the old Testament or whatever. No. This is a very specific point in Israel's history and it's distinct in terms of the lifestyle or, um, the family life, um, before, you know, before there was more urban development, if you will. Yeah. And again, it wouldn't necessarily be the case for every family. And it's not that there wasn't trade or travel, but it, um, it becomes much more, um, there's much more of that in later eras and our evidence mm -hmm. for it is much more ample <laughs> in later eras. Interesting. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And I, I, I don't remember if you said this before we started. I know you said this before we started recording. I don't think you've said it yet, but about family structure. Can you say oh, a yeah, little yeah, yeah. bit about that? Oh, camera? yeah. Just that um, families, you know, would have lived in probably multi-generational households. There would have been livestock right around your house as well. Um, right. uh, and... Um, that a lot of the a lot of daily life went into, you know, going from grain to bread, <laughs> to a life of bread. You know, significant mm -hmm. hours of the day. Um, but that also meant that a lot of um, education and the passing on of the wisdom of the family mm -hmm. went on within that household. So children there with their parents and especially with their mothers, you know, from an early age would have been helping with all of the chores around the house, um, but also would have been sort of learning um, the ways of the world from um, from mothers and fathers. And so in the wisdom literature, you kind of hear echoes of this, right? So in Proverbs, um, opening chapters of Proverbs, you have wisdom that is being passed along from father to son. Um, but you also would have had, or at the, at the end of Proverbs, right? The Proverbs 31 wife who is economically savvy. I mean, that's a big thing about Proverbs right. 31 right. Yeah. is yeah. that she, um, mm -hmm. she can stretch her money, right? She can um, trade, right. she can right. make sure that the household is, is well off so that the, um, that sort of concern for surviving and thriving would have been probably the focus of, of what was going on. But there's also, um, there also would have been religious activity in the home. So, you know, when we read uh, the Old Testament, when we read the histories in Samuel and Kings, or when we read about the, um, you know, tabernacle worship in Exodus or the, the establishment of these public worship spaces, um, we're not getting the whole picture because there would, just as we know today, right, you can go to church, you can go to your worship space. Um, but there are also religious rituals and practices that are in place in households, like saying blessings right. before 
meals. And um, it's very likely that that sort of thing is happening in the ancient Israelite family as well. So that even though we don't have as many um, records of that, you know, the records we get are of the outside, the public spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. there are figurines and other things that are found in homes that um, suggest that there was religious activity in the house as well. And it may be, uh, too, we think about the weekly observance of the Sabbath, and it's hard to know what exactly that consisted of back then. I mean, we know the, you know, the rabbinic tradition surrounding the Sabbath in terms of lighting candles and saying certain blessings. Um, don't really know how far back that stretched, but there, there is certainly a concern um, not necessarily in judges uh, as much uh, as in uh, Leviticus or the prophets. There is concern with Sabbath and that kind of weekly mm-hmm. religious observance that is also a domestic, you know, home-based uh, kind of observance. Everyone uh, take a break. Everyone right. take a break, right? Everyone rest. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, and Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just, I was, I was going to say, I was going to change the subject a little bit. So if you had something on that same topic, go ahead. Well, no, I I did just want to note that um, in Judges itself, of course, we have uh, lots of conflict. (laughs) Right. Okay. That's where I was going. I'm like, is it Judges? Yeah, both within families, but also. (laughs) Everything goes bad There does seem to be a, yeah, there does seem to be a kind of constant threat from neighboring, uh, peoples and neighboring lands and sometimes even within Israel itself between the different tribes. So uh, we've been talking, and I think the questioner is, uh, the question is most concerned with kind of daily life, but, you know, in addition to that kind of domestic life that we've been talking about, there is also, um, you know, some threat, right. Or some, probably some anxiety uh, of um, threats from, uh, outside the the household, whether that's other tribes, whether that's other peoples or other lands, uh, there's it, it's uh, it's not a particularly it's uh, it's not always a peaceful society. Let's just put right. it that way. Uh, yeah, I think that that um, yeah that idea of threat, and even as the timeline goes on, you know, there's there's a lot of war. That's a lot of the history we read about too, um, from you know. Uh, bigger empires passing through that sort of thing. And aren't there like, I don't know, I'm only remembering, uh, I remember everything from every class I had from either of you, (laughs) but I don't remember this tiny detail, (laughs) which is, um, isn't there something, isn't, isn't everyone in judges terrible? Isn't that kind of the thing? Right? Like everyone, like, aren't like a lot of the horrible stories in the Bible, don't they come from judges? There are a lot of horrible stories. <laughs> making them there are, judges. There's yes, really bad There are a lot of horrible like, stories in judges. It's kind of judges. the worst, yeah. right? Okay. You know what? No, it, it starts out pretty good, right? You've got Deborah, you've oh, yeah. got um, uh, other uh, uh, Cicero. Uh, you've, you've got these stories of. of uh, good leaders uh, at the beginning of Judges, and then they kind of get progressively worse until Judges ends with this terrible story of the the gang rape of a concubine and then the dismemberment of the concubine and then yeah. intertribal civil war. Um, but I, 
I do just want to make the point that judges doesn't condone that violence. Uh, I think that's where a lot of people uh, get mixed up just because there are stories of violence in judges doesn't mean that judges or the Bible or scripture is condoning the violence. In fact, those stories seem to be there exactly to say this isn't how uh, life should be. This isn't how you should act because judges ends with this verse. Uh, this is Judges 21, 25. The very last verse in the book says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. So that's the word of judgment, you know, that that because there's no king or because uh, even more to the point, because the people aren't following the Torah, aren't following the law of God, people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And this is the result, violence, civil war, um, sexual you know, violence and dismemberment. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that, Katie, because it's, it, it's, <laughs> there's a difference between saying there's terrible stories in the Bible and saying that the Bible condones those. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, it, it does not. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. No, I affirm that, that, yeah, it's, judges is sometimes described as like a downward spiral because, you know, the, the things will get better for yeah. a while. Um, you know, God raises up a new judge and things go well and then things disintegrate and then you kind of, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it spirals down until it gets really, really awful at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the beautiful little story, <laughs> which is set in the time of the judges and is actually somewhat pertinent to our question, too, because if of all the books in the Bible, Ruth really is this uh, kind of vignette of uh, domestic um, oh, yeah. life. Yeah. That, I mean, to a certain extent, obviously, uh, it begins with famine and the family of uh, of a Limelech, a Limelech going down to Moab, but then when they come, when Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem, there is this lovely story of harvest and um, Chesed, loving kindness, and um, still that kind of what you were talking about, Cameron, that kind of subsistence farming. But there are uh, there is joy in the midst of it, and family. Um, uh, love and uh, a new birth and yeah and celebrations in the midst of what is what is obviously a you know a a, a hard working existence. That's a great text to put in conversation with judges because um, again it's you get um, so few instances of this really sort of intimate look at everyday life of everyday people in the Bible. So much of yeah. it is focused on, you know, important governmental and religious leaders Kings and, yeah. and prophets. And so, yeah. um, mm -hmm. to put, mm -hmm. I mean, even, you know, Samson is, he's a judge, like things. It, oh yeah. The, Samson's in. Yeah. So that, um, to put Ruth beside it, I think gives us a better, picture and a kind of rare picture of, of daily life. And of course there are archeologists um, who do lots of work on, on this as well. I mean, but, but a lot of the things that held true for any ancient civilization held true for ancient Israel, for example, um, high infant mortality, 
uh, you know, that, that the life expectancy right. of women is significantly less than the life expectancy of men because of the dangers of childbirth, you know, in a, um, right. before modern medicine. And, and so, so there's also that, um, there's a sort of familiarity with death or like a closeness of, of death mm. that, um, not to get too heavy, but I mean, if you, if you think about that, as you read through the Psalms, for instance, or as you read these stories, just mm. to think about the distance yeah. in the experiences yeah. Yeah, yeah. of, you know, me in 21st century United States, um, versus the, you know, the first millennium BCE, you know, three, uh, you know, 2,500, um, or more years ago that, that, that just the experience of being, in the world is very different. And so it can be helpful to reflect on that as you read, as you read the Bible, that sort of distance from our own experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a cross cultural, uh, experience that that's a really helpful insight, Cameron. I was, and especially as you're reading texts like the Psalms, as you say, uh, I was thinking, uh, and I'll, I'll end with this. Um, uh, but, when you were talking about this kind of subsistence agriculture, I was thinking about Psalm 126, which is not written in the time of the judges. It's written after the exile, but it's a, there's some continuity there, right? In, particularly in terms of um, most people living on the land and, and getting their, you know, um, and, and subsistence farming. There's one line there that uh, I, I find pretty poignant. So this is Psalm 126, um, verses five and six, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. I didn't really ever understand that or, or try to interpret it until um, my own teacher, Ellen Davis, talked about uh, reading this with um, people in South Sudan, right? Mm. And, and I think it's worth saying that there are many nations around the world, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia, where life is still a, a lot like this, right, in terms of subsistence farming. And so these readers in South Sudan, these South Sudanese uh, readers read this and said, well, yeah, sometimes when you haven't had a good harvest, obviously you still have to keep part of the harvest to sow seed, mm-hmm. In, you know, so that you will have food for the coming year. And so you have to choose between sowing the seed that will hopefully produce an abundant harvest and using that seed to feed your children now. Wow. Right? So it's that kind of, you know, this is why I think that that's probably why the psalmist says, right? Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, mm. uh, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Mm. There's, uh, you know, you think of planting as a joyous thing, but if you're choosing between planting and feeding mm. your children, uh, planting in hope of a, you know, abundant harvest and feeding your children, there is certainly some some weeping uh, that will go on there. But in the midst of that, uh, the psalmist says. Um, the Lord has done great things for us and we rejoice and calling on God to restore, restore our fortunes, O oh Lord, like the water courses in the negative, right? In the midst of that kind of anxiety and um, uh, what, in uh, not knowing what the future holds, there's still a, a trust 
in God and a calling on God uh, to provide for God's children. Yeah. And that's so much more um, poignant when you think about this, the circumstances in which they live. It's very easy for us to say that. And it's sometimes very easy for us, perhaps because we're not in that position, not to say that <laughs> because we are, you know, under the delusion that we can, you know, basically be self-sufficient or whatever. And so, yeah, that kind of like, kind of brings it full circle, like to the, to the question that the, that the listener asked, it's important to know what life was like for the people in the Bible. It's important to kind of, especially for those of us in other contexts, have this sort of imagination about it and curiosity and not assume that all these texts were written, you know, for 21st century, you know, Western wealthy people, <laughs> but for people right. in extremely right. different circumstances, uh, impoverished, you know, living hand to mouth and, um, and to have some humility then about how we, how we read the text in light of a, a life that's different from our own. Awesome. Well, thank you. This was a very um, enlightening and interesting conversation. Super appreciate it. Cameron, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and thank you to our listeners for being with us um, for this episode of the Enter the Bible podcast. And of course, you can get more high quality courses, commentaries, resources, videos, reflections, um, Lots of cool content from Cameron on <laughs> enterthebible.org. So go there. Uh, be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app or on, on YouTube. Actually, we're on YouTube as well. So you can uh, like and subscribe uh, and be sure to share this content with a friend. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again. And thanks for being with us. <laughs>